0: Well, hello out there, Australia, the rest of the world. This is a podcast, The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. We're back after a two-week break. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist, with me as always, Shay the Subversive. Good evening. And coming in remotely, Joe the Tech Guy. Evening all. So someone in Joe's family has got a slight sniffle, and so Joe, in the interests of our community keeping us safe, not only is he fully vaccinated, but he's staying at home when necessary. Well done, Joe. Thank you for your consideration.
1: Yes. It's all right.
0: <laughs> Thank you for restricting your freedom on this occasion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about news and politics, sex and religion, everything that's happened over the last two weeks. If you're in the chat room, say hello and join in. We'll try and get to your comments if we can. We're going to kick off and talk about Noosa Temple of Satan and our meeting with Amanda Stoker. Then we're going to talk about these sort of rallies for against vaccination mandates and, and rules. And then we'll get on to some other things and see what rabbit holes we travel down. So Whatley's online. Good on you, Whatley. So, okay, let's kick off with Noosa Temple of Satan stuff. So Robin and I did meet with Amanda Stoker. Now this was a meeting that had been delayed because we were supposed to meet her a couple of months ago and she cancelled for whatever reason had something else on. So we had our meeting and went all the way out to Underwood and she was a bit late for the meeting so we started with a couple of her underlings and, and they said, oh, she'll be coming but let's sort of start the meeting anyway. So... Yeah, we weren't that happy with that because we really wanted to speak to her. But So we started off talking to her advisors and just sort of running through bits of the religious discrimination bill and basically checked with them and said, look, had they had any meetings at all, any non-religious groups, like the rationalists, atheists, national secular lobby, humanist, anyone like that? And I said, oh, we've consulted very widely with different groups. I said, yeah, mm. well... Faith groups, yes, but any of these other groups? And the answer was, well, can't think of any off the top of their head <laughs> that we've spoken with. And I knew they hadn't because I've asked these people. Like, I haven't. So, so anyway, got that out of them, that they hadn't really consulted with them. And and we, of course, were quite vehement in our opposition to the Religious Discrimination Bill. So essentially there's three parts to it. We're basically saying, look, it's okay to protect people against discrimination. So Mm. that's fine if that's all that the act is doing. People shouldn't be unfairly discriminated against because they are of a particular religion. Mm -hmm. But this act, it seems, from what we've read, is actually going to allow more discrimination. It's not Mm -hmm. going to stop it. It's going to enable it. It's going to allow religious institutions to actually go out and discriminate against people because of their religion. So it's a sword, sword, not a shield. Mm. So that's our primary you know philosophical objection main objections in detail being the fact that schools can hire and fire teachers based on religion mm. crazy mm-hmm. and the israel fallow clause and and then the sort of the pharmacists being able to withhold medication and things like that so we were quite strong in saying you know these are just wrong shouldn't be allowed explaining why and we asked whether any other faith groups had been opposing these measures and I said well some of the faith groups have sort of maybe objected here and there to little bits and pieces or they've mm. suggested changes or you know they've had a more nuanced approach was the word that was used <laughs> so you know our lack of nuance I took as a compliment. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So I was able to ask them, you know, has any other faith group been as vehement in its opposition to mm. this as we have been in this meeting? I said, oh, no way, you guys have been the most vehement for sure. So that's good. Got I that on the most,
1: record. M- yes. Yeah. Most religions are relishing the thought of being able to be mean to people.
0: Yes. Yeah. Even the small ones. Because mm-hmm. I said, what about the small ones? Because essentially what this act does is it gives large religions who have institutions – extra rights because these institutions are given rights to discriminate against people what about the other small religions who don't have institutions yet and they said oh they're more or less happy with it and i take that to be to be because they hope one day to have their own institutions that's right. and they can commit the same discrimination
2: yeah wow
0: so yeah i was kind of hateful that some of the other smaller religions might have but no all kind of on board with it, so so there we go. So in terms of their consultation, hasn't extended to the sort of secular world, the non faith world, mm. and but anyway, sort of after about fifteen minutes, Amanda arrived and look, she was very charming, sort of younger than I thought, yeah. And, and it was late in the day, like it was four o'clock by this stage,
3: mm. and
0: I would imagine she's been going all day, yeah. But she was quite fresh faced and and bubbly and. I have to say she gave us a very fair hearing and mm. and at a personal level was very good. Yeah. So as we went through the issues again with her, we quickly went through them and we said, oh, look, we've just been talking about this and this. And, and she would say, well, in relation to this issue, I say this, what do you say? And I'll respond. And she was actually – and then we'd say, well, we agree to disagree more or less or mm. whatever. But she didn't poo-poo us and she mm. gave us what I would call a fair enough hearing that uh, really – no complaints from me in that regard at all. Mm. You know, top marks to her for that, Mm. at least. So in the end, Robin made a quick prayer of thanks to the Dark Lord.
1: (laughs) And and how did she take that? She
0: chuckled and so did her advisor. (laughs) But, you know, hard not to in the circumstance. Yes. And we asked her for a photo at the end and she said, ah, no. (laughs) So anyway... You know, it wasn't a meeting where we were planning to change her mind. Yeah. That was never going to happen. Yes. She was never going to change our mind. But That's at right. least we could get on the record our position. Yes. You know? so, As yeah.
1: lodging your your, your yeah. objections. Yeah, exactly.
0: So that was our meeting with Stoker. You know, cost Robin a day of work because he had to come down from Noosa. Mm-hmm. You know, it cost me most of the day because I... Robin came down and we were chatting, and we had to go all the way out to Underwood and all the rest of it. Like all these things are time consuming. Yes, these things for you, a half you have meeting. film
1: crew in tow? No, no. You didn't have the
0: film crew in tow for that. <laughs> but so anyway, we got a really good article in the Australian. Yes. So there's a there's a Struth column in the Australian. Oh, Alice Workman, I think her name is, who runs that column. She obviously is into this whole thing. So she dedicated virtually her whole column to it in The Australian. Right. And she also put in another piece just yesterday or today because somebody who's from the Republican movement, wants Australia to become a republic, tried to meet with Stoker and Stoker said no. And so there was a bit of an article about how, well, she's meeting with Satanists but she's not meeting with the Republican movement sort of thing.
3: So,
0: <laughs> you, so,
1: you, of course, <laughs> know that truth is a contraction uh, for God's truth.
0: Ah, I know. No. Had yeah, is it?
1: Yes. There you go. There you go. So there you are. You were published under God's truth. There you go.
0: So there was an article in in Queensland about it, which online magazine. I got a phone call from Michelle Grattan, who's a, like one of the most senior political journalists in Canberra.
2: Wow.
0: And she was basically sniffing around to find out what was in the bill and whether we had being able to work out what was in or out of the bill. So mm. once I said I didn't have a scoop for her, she was pretty quick to hang up. But, <laughs> she but, you know, she was chasing the scoop and so she ran, which was just interesting. And before we move on to other topics, the – the Joe, you'll like this. Tanya from the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, the Pastor Fairians. Yeah, our captain. Yes, your captain. She has been offered a slot at the Sydney Festival at the Domain Apparently at the Sydney Festival they're reinvigorating sort of Speaker's Corner at the Domain. So uh, she's been given a one-hour slot or something and has invited mm. me to get on stage with her and talk about, you know, religion in Australia today. And, you
2: don't have to wear a costume. Mm-hmm. So I
0: can wear whatever I like. So. <laughs> So, so, yeah, that's on the 30th, I think. More de- more details to come. But I've got to be in Sydney towards the end of the month so I can tie it in with some other things. So i probably do that. So that will be at Speaker's Corner. And I think it's like the crowd can sort of hear other speakers and you're sort of vying for attention and, and people can then sit down and listen to you. So, anyway, we'll see what comes of that. So mm. we'll just uh, tell them some of our stories. Throw exit, at you. Yeah, that's it. So, Because the domain in Sydney, Che, was – had speakers' corner where people would literally stand on a soapbox and and talk oh, about yeah. news and politics and stuff like it was huh. it was the place to get up and on your soapbox have your say. So this is a sort of a revival of that, but with microphones and seats. So yeah, so that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so yeah, that's all the Noosa Temple of Satan stuff. Still waiting on a decision on the court case, and it's coming up to like three and a half months now. Mm. The longer it goes, the more excited I'm getting. <laughs>
3: yes, I shouldn't. I've got
0: to, I'm no chance, really. Tom the warehouse guy. But
2: if you're is, no chance, he would have said by now.
0: Yeah. Tom the warehouse guy, he's in the chat room. What do you reckon, Tom? The longer it goes, are our chances getting better? Or is it, I don't know. It, it, it I, could I, be. I
1: think you. He- You've been saying to the judge, am I ever going to see your face again? Right.
0: So it all depends on how busy the judge is. He might have had just a whole bunch of cases, couldn't get to it, whatever. But on the other hand, maybe he's It's a pretty
1: interesting one.
0: Yeah. I think you would make
2: a bit of time for it. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it's a tricky one for him. So anyway, we'll see about that. A decision must come out at some stage. Could you imagine if we actually got a favourable decision right now? (laughs) 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 It would just go off. (laughs) It really was. The timing would be great for a favourable <laughs> yes. decision. So
3: yes.
0: We lose. Oh, well. So, oh, well, Tom the Warehouse guy who was supporting me at the bar table. Have faith, Trevor. <laughs> Die Straight says, Have faith, Trevor. And Tom the Warehouse guy says, I think the judge must be poring over those written submissions. I agree. The longer it goes on, the better. So, and also in the chat room, did I see Alison there? She was in the court at the time. If, um, I've so, not seen Alison tonight. You no, know, so. So, yeah, that would be that would go ballistic if we got a favourable decision right at this moment. So, okay, so let's move on to the religious discrimination bill itself. So, apparently, it came out today, Mm. and uh, I have no chance to look, but apparently, the falau clause was thrown out. Yes. As I understand it, not sure about the rest. Oh, dear, what a pity. Yes, indeed, Mm. what a pity. So, it's still, of course, going to have in it the the discrimination in employment. And to me, that's the biggest one. Yes, That's the one I had the, the most issue with actually, mm. is this employment one. And so so it's going to go to the House of Reps and then it's going to end up in the Senate and they're talking about a Senate inquiry. So who knows when they'll actually vote on it becoming law. I think it could be voted on in the reps quickly, but then go to the Senate for an inquiry, which might take longer. Amendments, that, yeah, back to the House that, of Reps, that, who knows.
1: The whole point is that he's seen to be doing something before the election but yes. doesn't actually get something done before the election.
0: Could be, yes. Mm. So he can say he's he's done this. So that's where that is at the moment. And if you're talking, dear listener, to your friends and colleagues about this religious discrimination bill and you're looking for a, an example or a metaphor of what's happening, then I've this is my current one that I'm using with people, is a basketball team. Imagine you're the owner of an NBA basketball team. So when it comes to, let's say you want a power centre, which is a guy who stands in the middle trying to block shots, right? Mm -hmm. He's not one of these nippy guards on the outside taking three-pointers. He's in the middle. You would be entitled to advertise looking for a power centre, must be six foot ten tall, and that would not be unfair discrimination to put that in your ad and say, look, really for this position, we just need somebody who's really tall. Like you might be really great, but if you're only five foot, you're just not going to be able to do it. It's impossible for the role we need. You must be tall. So, so discrimination can be fair in circumstances where it's relevant to the job and the role that you're going to perform. So in a basketball team, for that particular position, the team could advertise and say, you must be six foot ten. Don't bother you know, applying otherwise. So, but you couldn't, for example, say, oh, of course, you've got to be white. We don't want any black yeah. fellas. Not relevant to the job. That's right. Not good for our society to be mm-hmm. segregating people based on skin colour. So, you know, that's the reason why one form of discrimination is okay and mm-hmm. while another form is not. Now... The team might have, you couldn't, for example, say, oh, you must be Christian, because you go, well, why? Like, nothing to do with his role is related to Christianity. It's not part of it. So, but if, for example, you are advertising for the team chaplain, you might have an argument to say, must be a Christian, mm. because we want a Christian team chaplain. You know, even then, we're stretching things a bit, but it's conceivable that you could say, "Well, for that role, okay, we'll let you. We'll let you say that you want a, a Christian for the chaplain." Arguably, you can see a connection for the role. So, so people just have to understand in their heads: sometimes discrimination is fair, and sometimes it's unfair. It depends whether it relates to the job you're doing. Yes. Now, when you're looking at a school, high school, what they're trying to say is that the math and the physics teachers. They, like sh- they, they can say, we want a Christian math teacher, mm. and the, what they're saying is, well, we have an ethos in this school where mm. our lifestyle as Christians is all pervasive and cannot be separated. And our every waking moment of the day involves our faith, and we we can't divide the day. It's it's just all pervasive and all encompassing. Yes. Well, that is just like a basketball team saying. It's all perva- we're an
1: all-pervasive Christian basketball team. Yes. We play basketball in a Christian way. Yes, it's bullshit. Or, or we're, we're a white supremacist yes. basketball team,
3: yeah. indeed,
0: and we would say bullshit. It, mm. It's not what you're doing. Mm. Realistically, you're not. You're throwing yes. a ball in a basket, and your Christianity's got nothing to do with it. Yes, and a teacher in a physics or maths class is talking about you know all the theories.
1: Yeah, but science. hang on, hang on. Mm. It's, important. it's mm. important for history teachers and science teachers because the science teachers have to be able to debunk evolution. Yes. And um, the history teachers have to be able to show that the world is only 6,000 years old.
0: Yes, so arguably they, sh- they should not be Christian in order to perform the role correctly is what yes. you're saying. Yeah. But that's Possible. the thing.
2: Like, mm. even when I went to the rally for protest yeah. the Bigot Bill a few weeks ago overwhelmingly the people that were there were LGBTIQ Mm. members, right, Mm. because they can see where this is headed, who it's going to be aimed at, but this is what a lot of people, and that's why your analogy Mm. is great, is because Mm. it can be more broadly applied Mm. to people who wouldn't normally experience being discriminated. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And
1: and that's when
2: you're having your conversations, you've got to talk to people about that.
1: mm. Unmarried cohabitors. Yes. Yes. People who find themselves
2: divorced, exactly.
3: Mm.
0: So in a a Christian school, you know, they'd be saying something like the physical education teacher must be Christian. Mm. So this sort of – anyway, so I like the basketball team analogy in in sort of giving people some framework of understanding when sometimes discrimination is valid as opposed to invalid. So incidentally, when we talked about this with Amanda Stoker, she said, but state rules already allow this form of discrimination in schools, and we said – that's correct and we're against them as well mm. so that was part of our discussion with the man Stoker so so yeah so that's the main thing that
1: hang on but mm. you know we, we can't protest against slavery because other states allow slavery and therefore yeah
0: she was like why don't you let this go because it's already a state law and it's like well no we say state laws is a bad law anyway mm. so yeah so yeah anyway what else is going on just briefly before I go I'll come back to that. But Dan Andrews down in Victoria is looking at passing a bill.
3: Mm.
0: So they want to change the state law that currently allows this form of discrimination. So, when employing staff, religious bodies and schools can only discriminate where conformity with religious beliefs is an inherent requirement of the job. In addition, when running a school or providing services funded by the Victorian government, religious bodies will only be able to discriminate on the basis of the persons. Religious belief, not on other personal characteristics. So, individuals will not be able to discriminate in the circumstances covered by the Equal Opportunity Act in order to comply with religious beliefs. So, first of oh, all, number. But, sorry?
1: I was going to say that, but the, their get around is, but our religious beliefs is that homosexual sex is unnatural and therefore your religious beliefs can't align with ours. Correct. Unless you're penitent.
0: And the Andrews Bill is going to say you can't say that. So, if it's a circumstance covered by the Equal Opportunity Act, you can't use that. You can't say, oh, our Christian belief is that gay lifestyle is wrong, therefore we're allowed to sack gay teachers. The, the Andrews Bill is saying, no, that's not on. And it's also saying, if you want to rely on religious faith, it's got to be an inherent part of the job, i.e. a religious teacher, no doubt. So... so
2: you got to hand it to that man. Exactly. Seriously, he is a man that gets stuff done. Yeah. If I were him right now, I would just be getting under my bed and staying there. I would be so afraid, but he's is yeah. just like yep. passing bills, yep. debating bills, yep. doing his job. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, I know for example, like the 12th man hates what Dan Andrews has done in terms of lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. But on the other hand, would presumably love the stuff he's doing in terms of secular laws. So mm. it's interesting. So um, good yes. on full marks to Dan Andrews. On, Definitely. From my point of view, on, yes. on all scores. Yes. He is a tough customer. I saw him talking in Parliament about the threats that had been made to him and the dog whistling from mm. Scott Morrison. He was good on his feet. He, he, he just isn't he? stuck it to him. Yes.
2: So, the double speak, yeah. which is exactly what it was. Yes, mm. he was very good. Mm. So
0: so I've got here actually, we're going to get on to the sort of the protests, the freedom protests. But before I do that, just before I leave this religious discrimination bill, the essential report came out today with polling of people and they asked to what extent do you agree with the following statements regarding freedom of speech? And one of them was... There should be stronger laws to protect people who express religious views in public. And only 37% of people agreed with that. So.
1: Hang on, but that's mm. still 37%.
0: Yeah, but in the scheme of things, Joe, that's.
1: You're right. You you are right. But that's a third of people who think it's okay to be an Uh, arsehole. You're right.
0: Why am I looking for a silver lining? The other stat in there was people should not be allowed to argue religious freedom to abuse others and that was sixty four percent. So but yeah, you're right. I mean, what does it matter what the majority of people think? This government is full of religious nutters who are on an mm-hmm. agenda all of their own and mm-hmm. what the public thinks and what their party thinks. They don't care, that's they no that's difference. completely committed Pentecostal nutbags who are just yes. committed to these ideologies. So what's it even matter what we think? True. Let's be Let's stop being positive. Just in terms of that one about there should be stronger laws to protect people who express their religious views in public, for Liberal and National Party voters, that was 46%, Joe, so nearly half of them feel mm-hmm. that way. Labor Party members, 36 or Labor voters, 36% think there should be stronger laws. You're right, that is depressing. Mm. Anyway. Okay, back to the protests. So... I mean there's been a lot of them around the country yeah yeah and this is a recording from the one in melbourne so just have a listen to this
1: the spirit of the lord is there is freedom so lord we ask for your spirit to pour out upon each and every single person that is here today to touch their hearts and to show them who you are lord we thank you that the reign of daniel andrews is only temporary and that you will take him out at the appointed time
3: And we thank you, Lord, that Victoria will be a free state and Australia will be a free country again under you.
1: So not free, then.
3: We thank you for all this, Lord, in your mighty name.
1: I'm having vision,
0: visions of Gilead here. <laughs> it's Where were the people in that crowd saying, hang on a minute, I didn't sign up for this. What
2: are you... No, what?
0: Like, that's bad. That's.
2: I think they did sign up,
0: actually. Well, no, I I think there's a real mixture of people in this crowd. They're big crowds.
2: Big crowds, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's difficult because there is a mixture of people there, Mm. some who are Nazi fascist crazies, some who are religious Christian fascist crazies. Mm. Many of them would be people who have just had a gut full of lockdowns and want yes. a normal life again and want to get out and demonstrate to the government mm. that they're not happy and to try and pressure the government through marching, as you do in forms of a protest. So, I mean, there'd be people with families and kids who were there. Now, it's the problem. You go to something like that and... You end up, the organisers, you know, start saying stuff like that, and you kind of are swept into as being part of that nonsense. And, the shoe fits, and but you might have gone. I just want to object to the lockdowns and to these vaccination mandates that we'll get onto. Mm. And I didn't want that sort of thing, but mm. so, and, and people- that was
1: my problem with um, Extinction Rebellion. Mm. Because, you know, I I agree with them on climate change. Mm. But then I went and read their website and they're anarchists Mm. who want to tear down modern government, who who want to tear down capitalism.
0: Yes. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different QAnon groups. You've just finished a book on QAnon. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the crazies who are motivated to organise stuff who then Mm. get their hands on the microphone to say that sort of stuff. Yes. Which it's just an inherent problem with demonstrations. Mm. If you're not sure of who's organising it, you're, well, your numbers might be allocated to that sort of
2: yeah.
0: ideology.
1: What's that, Joe? I was going to say, it's same with RI, isn't it? Mm. it it's, it's the volunteers. It's those who are full of passion that go and do it.
0: Correct. Yep. So, and
1: they're not necessarily the people you want. Yeah. So it remains
0: for the rest of us who weren't there, who are observing, to go. Well, what was that protest about? Because not everybody agreed with everything that. So, so it's a-
2: not just anti-vaxxers. It's mm. that Premier Daniel Andrews is mm. trying to put a law through where, instead of the chief health officer calling to shot, it's the elected official of the time. Yes. And in in that law, he's also putting penalties of about forty eight grand mm. for breaching the public health orders. Right. So quite strong penalties. Yep. So among the crowd, there'd be some people that are just concerned about that. Apparently there was a letter written by a number of QCs to Dan Andrews raising concerns about the bill as well. So
0: Government overreach. Government overreach. Yep. Yep.
2: But yeah, in this book that I was reading, I think it's called "Pastels and Pedophiles: Understanding in the Mind of a QAnon," mm-hmm. and there is a lot of a lot of people who are religious who get into the QAnon. It's not necessarily just your dummies. Yep. They range from highly educated people to a whole range of different people, yep. and they just get hooked on the like the compelling nature of the stories and the guessing games and the community spirit of it. Yes. So I think there could be a a lot more QAnon in that crowd than we're giving credit for, and I Mm. think we might need to stop being concerned about, like, the doubters and put some more attention on the devotees. Right. I think they're they're dangerous.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well. There's also something about feeling special. Yes, mm. you know, you you know something that the sheeple don't.
0: Yes. yes.
3: Yeah. And
2: when you talk to people who are in QAnon, they do have that superiority. Mm. You know, like one of my friends, you know, why are you telling me all this? Cuz they'll babble for like 40 minutes
3: right. without stopping. <laughs> right. And yeah. I go, why
2: are you telling me? "Oh, to raise your consciousness."
0: Right. That's yeah. why. Yeah, cuz Is that
2: I've, why? This, this, <laughs> yeah. And how will you know my consciousness is raised?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because they've worked it out and you haven't. Yes. Yeah.
2: I'm a sheeple.
0: Yeah. It's multi-level marketing. Yeah. Mm. So what's really going on here? If if I was to sort of steel me in their position, I'd say, look, tens of thousands of people is a lot. Yes. So you wouldn't compare the number of protesters to the total population. That would be unfair.
2: Mm.
0: I think in Queensland I saw a statistic that up to 18% of people were vaccine hesitant. So – much higher in Queensland than other states, yeah. it seemed. So, you know, I remember seeing overall figures of sort of less than 10% of people said they would never get the vaccine. But that was a, there's a lot of people who feel they're forced to get it. So they'd say, yeah, I'm going to get it because I'm forced to.
1: Well, there's a number of them who've been detoxing, who've been mm. getting it and then detoxing.
0: Right. Flushing the vaccine out of their system. In, in
1: the belief that it gets the vaccine out, <laughs> yes, very much. Uh, yeah. So it tends to follow rural areas are less likely to be vaccinated. And I think it, it tends to follow that the places that really haven't seen the virus tend mm. to be more hesitant. True. Those who've seen and have, have been physically scared, I think, are less hesitant.
0: But still in Europe and places like that where they've seen plenty of death from COVID, they're still getting quite large protests Do- there against vaccine mandates and things so you know it's i guess what i'm saying is, it's a significant number of people mm. some of the people would say oh what are you complaining that you can't you know do what you want to do because you can anyone can go out now and get a cup of coffee or whatever and and they could say well now we are able to protest so we are like mm. because we can now so mm. so that's fair enough but what are they protesting and what do they want so I think they are not saying that lockdowns don't work. I think we've got past that yes. I think I don't seem to see online in things the argument anymore mm. that lockdowns don't work. Mm. I think they've given up on that at yes. least so there's a recognition or an acceptance that lockdowns work. they just feel that they're unfair mm. and over a, you know a blunt heavy Restriction of individual freedom that's unwarranted, as opposed to the risk that they're designed to deal with. So yeah, I don't think they're saying lockdowns don't work, and certainly in
1: Victoria. I was going to say there's mm. there's an ignorance as to how dangerous the virus actually is. Yeah. Yes, and I'll just go
0: on here a little bit, Joe. Hang on. So in Victoria, they're definitely protesting that bill,
1: but that bill is no worse than
0: what's in New South Wales, is my understanding. Like yeah, the- New
2: South Wales already put it through.
0: Yeah. So it's nothing particularly. Horrendous in it compared to the New South Wales bill. Yeah, so
2: a bunch of QCs from Sydney didn't send. So maybe there is a
0: few. Yeah.
1: I thought there were there were a few differences. Mm. Yeah, but in in the vast mm. sweep, it yep. is the same.
0: So what they seem to be, I think you could say that the crowd was saying is, do not introduce discriminatory laws for the unvaccinated. Don't introduce lockdowns or the unvaccinated, and they're saying we've got the right to be unvaccinated and that laws that discriminate against unvaccinated are a breach of basic civil liberties. Mm. I reckon that is what that crowd was about, mm. on about, mm. it seemed to me. as If you'll find one thread that was common amongst them yes. all, that would probably be it. Yeah. In the sort of ordinary and families, that would have been it.
1: Mm. The judges have already d- discussed and dismissed that, though.
0: Yes, but in terms of workplaces and things like that. Yes. But then can't trust judges, Joe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know so- what in in like I when I look at those protesters, I do don't really connect with why they're protesting, but I do connect with the rage. Mm. kind of like waking up one day and everything being totally different, mm. you know, two years of plans out the window. Mm. The second thing I want to say is i actually not for this bill either. Right. Because I saw today in the news that they've exposed an email from the Chief Health Officer in Sydney who wanted to lock down all of Sydney and Gladys decided to do her class discrimination of LGAs, LGAs, LGAs. LGAs. Yep. So, so I prefer the situation where we have our Chief Health Officer who interrupt politics as usual and says, Mm -hmm. this is how we're doing it.
0: Right. I think these are such big decisions. I think the Premier should be making them. I think they should get the advice. Yeah,
2: if you have Dan Andrews, you'd be okay with it. But if you had someone you didn't agree.
0: I think these are such big decisions that somebody, an elected official, has to be accountable for these, I think.
2: Well, they still are. Look. They still are. Anastasia is well, well, getting well, trashed every day in the Courier-Mail. Yeah, She's the, being held to a high level of accountability the for The
0: Courier-Mail is just the Liberal National Party <laughs>
3: newsletter.
0: Discussions, internal discussion newsletter. It's <laughs> not a newspaper. We have to get that in our heads. <laughs> if, if,
1: if she was it. to walk outside and say the sun is shining, yeah. the... Courier-Mail would say, no, 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 how dare she be so optimistic it's Mm. raining.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's sort of taking credit for it.
1: And when you look
0: at the
2: way we moved around this, we moved with urgency, we got stuff done, you know, if we take climate change again, we haven't moved with that level of urgency.
0: Yeah, but no... we a don't bit, listen
2: to our I, chief scientists. We don't get anything done. We I, just
0: stall. Yeah, de- these stole. are such big decisions, Shay. It's like, you
2: would want an expert.
0: I, well, okay. Let's say. Let me give you an, an analogy, okay? okay? Do we go to war or not? Chief of Defense says, oh, yeah, we should go to war. You know, Taiwan's been attacked. We all the way with the USA. Yeah, uh, that argument would say, well, he's the expert on war. You know. We're off to war. But we say, no, 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 this is a big decision. Clearly the Prime Minister and, well, I argue actually not the Prime Minister but the entire parliament mm. should be saying, we let's go to war. In fact, it should be a freaking referendum whether we go to war or not. But mm. So it depends on the, you know, should Peyton Road be 60K or 50K? We don't need the pre- – at some point there's a line where you say this is a big decision that needs accountability from the top and there are some decisions that are less important that you can delegate to minor officials. I think these, I think these ones should be in the hands of the Premier who then – but it should be open. What was the advice you got? Yeah, Publish proper it. consultation. That's what you got? You decided to do something else? Okay. But don't lie to us to say that you were doing what the health officer said mm-hmm. when in fact you were doing something else. But I think the, the advice should be published – yeah. And then the then we know whether the Premier is relying on it or doing something different. So, yeah. Well, um, I just wrote that mm.
2: policy paper, right, where mm. I recommended that for from in future when we go to war, what we'll do is we'll amend um, Section 50C or whatever yeah. of the War Powers Act where all the parliament votes. Right. Yeah. Right? Now, that could just be like, frankly, isn't the Liberal and the Labor Party probably going to vote the same way? It's probably not going to make a difference to To the result, but we'll have the policy.
0: Indeed, yeah. And who knows down the
2: track? Maybe. Which means we'll have consultation. We'll have yeah. debate. How yes. long do we think the war's going to be? Yes. How much is it going to cost? Yeah. How many soldiers do you reckon are going to die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could still yeah. have all that and still have Can the chief health effort? officer yeah. making her recommend his or her
1: recommendations.
0: Right. Yep.
1: Can we afford to put our children in debt for future generations?
0: Yes. Oh, we don't worry about future generations, (laughs)
1: Joe, in this generation. No, no, but you hear about the bleating about the cost of the lockdown (laughs) and how it's going to cripple future generations. Yes. Yes. But I I agree with Trevor that sometimes the cost is too great for society to bear. Mm. I mean, in theory, we could wipe out all communicable diseases by locking everyone inside the house. There was a... Sex and Relationship podcast I was listening to who's going, great, when we come out of lockdown, people will go and get themselves tested, we will wipe out STIs Mm. because people haven't had a chance to spread it because they've all been staying at home. Mm. If they get tested and treated, we'll get rid of sexually transmitted infections. Mm. But, of course, we haven't and we've got a rebound effect.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that gets back to uh, what we'll talk about at some point here is the people who are against these um laws if you like they they talk about freedom as if it's an absolute and there's no nuance in (laughs) their discussion Mm. where clearly in our society there are all sorts of restrictions on our freedom that we've decided to accept and In many respects, this one isn't that much different to a lot of stuff. Like, Mm. at the moment, the government will take, you know, 30% of every dollar you earn and put it in its own pocket. Like, Mm. 30% of your time Mm -hmm. or more, depending on your tax bracket or whatever, is is taken off you. So, you you know, there isn't this acceptance that there's a weighing up between individual freedom and and collective sort of responsibility, and there's a line here, they they don't accept that you and I mm. and Joe have made a calculation mm. that we've looked at what's in the overall interests of our community mm. now and into the future and is it worth giving up individual rights for the benefit of the community. And we've done a calculation of deaths, problems in our hospitals, ongoing issues with long covid as opposed to what we hope will be temporary measures that will be eased hopefully in the next 6 months more or less back to normal in many respects and we've we've done a calculation there and they don't accept that we've done that calculation they just hmm. think we are what? are just There's stupid no... subjects of tyranny yes they
1: but- they see the inputs to that calculation as being wrong because of the rejection of science, which started with the tobacco lobby yep. and then became climate change denial and now has moved into COVID, yep. we cherry-pick our experts to the viewpoint that we want to believe.
0: Yep, but they never want to argue the detail of that. They never want to get into the weeds. Of your but calculations are, you really are wrong. And Are here you are... really
1: competent to judge the science? Mm. No. Well... I don't and see any attempt
0: when I read Spectator magazine articles or other articles that that give that viewpoint. They don't get into the weeds of the calculation properly. They make a lot of statements without references to peer-reviewed articles and so they just make bold statements about oh, people who get vaccinated – still get COVID and can still pass it on to people so the vaccinations are useless.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like really bold, un statements like that, that just clearly lazy.
2: You don't think it's a tactic? Uh, look. You think it's just? Uh,
0: you know, I think people have have a gut reaction of what mm-hmm. they want. They want their personal liberty, their personal freedom, they believe in that in an almost religious belief and that merely saying that sort of basic statement is enough without justifying it with hard facts and mm. and intelligent looking at peer-reviewed articles. Because
2: so this I, is another mm. thing I notice about the like QAnon mm. people that I mm. know. Is they talk a lot in concepts and mm. one of their main things is like – the erosion of public trust. Mm. So they'll start to talk to you about public figures and corruption and, frankly, at first you'll think you're on the same page mm.
3: right. <laughs> because
2: we do need to clean up the corruption, right? Yes. It doesn't really matter where you're standing. We could get better structures. And certainly this book I was talking about before, they built the case around America between Bill Clinton and his, like, lies and then there mm. was another public figure who – who said he wasn't having some sort of relation with a 15-year-old and turned out to be yes. Mm. And so this steady erosion of, like, just BS mm. has assisted mm. this, like, anger. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, the conspiracies and, mm, the,
0: yeah. Mm. Dean in the chat room says, where is that detailed cost-benefit analysis, Trevor? Did our governments give us one before they locked us down? So the answer is no, they basically had rough ideas of what mortality rates would be and of what hospitalisation rates would be and 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 in the circumstances did a calculation that said, shit, if that's true, then we'll be inundated and we need to lock down because our health system won't cope. Mm-hmm. So the initial one was it seems on the face of it these are the figures. Now, probably over time, those figures haven't the actual mortality rates and the hospitalisation rates haven't been as severe as what was the mm. initially thought, but still severe enough where even now we go, based on what we know with mortality and hospitalisation, we're going to have a real issue in our hospitals if we don't do this. So there is that calculation.
1: Look, look you- at India. That's what happened when it went through uncontrolled. Mm. And people were dying in the streets because they couldn't get oxygen. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an argument that we would have better infrastructure and mm-hmm. it would never get to that. But mm-hmm. their health system was overwhelmed. It could well have hit those rates.
0: So so I think there was a calculation done, Dean, on on what would happen in our hospital, hospitals and the number of ICU beds we had and the number of ventilators we had if if things were allowed to go unchecked. The other thing is I see people who argue against the lockdowns talk about mental health and suicides. Mm. And we've gone through statistics of that and there hasn't been an uptick in suicides and mental health issues. Mm. In fact, the opposite. It's actually slightly down. Mm. So, you know, I think people are quite rightly able to complain about government support and should be, the protest should be, you know what, we need the lockdowns, okay. But you haven't given us enough money. Like you're allowing capital to still earn interest and and money. We've been deprived our livelihoods. We needed better financial support. Like yes, we did. that's what people should have been protesting about. Yes. Was an acknowledgement we need a lockdown, but we need to be supported, and we haven't that's had right. enough support.
1: That's and, right. And
0: that would have been a good sort of yeah. protest. Yep. So you know, and even Dean, even on issues like you know, if you have a Hey, people who have, oh, are we still going? or I think have we, we lost Joe. No, Joe's just disappeared. I think he's just into the men's room or something. Yeah. So, okay. so the other thing I was going to say was we look at things like, okay, the vaccinated people, what's their chances of contracting COVID? It's less, but by how much? And then what are their chances of passing on COVID to other people? it's less but by how much and i've looked at a number of studies and there's a huge variation there mm. in what in in how it pans out and so people who are arguing against the vaccination discrimination laws really should be going well this report from the uk says this number of people get infected by unvaccinated people get infected and pass it on versus the vaccinated etc and you could have a discussion about that where you might actually have some legs and show uh, maybe the differences aren't as much as what we thought mm. therefore the laws we passed shouldn't be as much as we thought but mm. I never see in the in these discussion groups references to those things i have to go sort of find them myself they yes. they just want to say these laws are a breach of our individual rights and therefore they're wrong without getting into the weeds of the detail, it seems yeah. to me. So They're very
1: good at pulling yeah. out the study that said viral loads are the same in vaccinated and unvaccinated.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Whilst ignoring the fact that you're less likely to be infected in the first place yes. and you're more likely to que- clear the infection quickly. Yes. And, and so the real risk is yeah. much, much less.
0: Yeah. There's, an, there's a dishonest cherry picking when you do mm, yes. see these arguments, where they have not actually confronted the bad, the the but part that follows the bit that they've cherry picked, so there, there is a dishonesty there that I see when I try. It's and It's the follow same one, with the but, oh well, look mm.
1: our death rates in Australia mm. in 2020 were much lower than they've been in years, mm. and you're going. Mm. Yes, mm. because we didn't have COVID and we were in lockdown so we weren't doing stupid things. Yes. <laughs>
0: and and I, I just find the people who argue in favour of it never provide a fucking reference. Like yes. Ramesh Thakur in The Spectator will, will write stuff about different statistics and things mm. and there's never a reference to where he plucked that figure mm. out and that to me when i've tried to hunt down his stuff in the past is showing he's a cherry picker who can't be trusted on these things so
1: if people don't quote their sources then mm-hmm. suspect they're either cherry picking or they're lying
0: yes yep so so some of the things that you hear would be gullible in terms of the people like mm-hmm. us who are just inspired. just gullible just when got vaccinated yeah mainstream media is deliberately misrepresenting reality and is conspiring in a cover-up you know when you can get the a conspiracy of all the media on this angle but when not all the a, media, well, that's just what the, 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 well, the mainstream media, like they will <laughs> just, say just mainstream.
1: The mainstream
3: media. Yes,
0: yeah. So, you know, that's an that's one of the things you'll read. Uh, they talk about government overreach, uh, that the pandemic is an excuse for government tyranny. They, because- use, they use the terms uh, medical apartheid, uh, medical discrimination, things like how dare they award freedom for compliance. So Anastasia Palisade would say, congratulations, Queenslanders, we're going really well. When we reach 80%, then we'll do this. Yes. and. You've done well. And they would see that as how dare you.
2: That's right.
0: (laughs) uh, Congratulate
3: Pretend to award
0: freedom when actually Uh. you've taken it away. So they say that. They'll say, you know, the vaccine does not work in that the vaccinator gets sick and that they pass on infection, but they refuse to talk about how those are both reduced. There's a lot of references to YouTube anti-vax heroes and not much reference to written
1: Reports, Yes. Or or bit shoot. Yeah. Because when you get thrown off of YouTube because you're so odious, you go to bit shoot. Okay.
0: (laughs) You hear a lot of I trust my body's immune system to fight the virus. Oh, yeah. But, gee. Good
2: one. When you've
0: got an infection for anything else, I bet you head down to the chemist and you get some antibiotics. Here's the one I find particularly annoying is Provaxxers, us irrationally scared. Mm. And... This one really just pisses me off mm. because we've done a calculation of, of you no, know, I personally don't think I am in any personal danger myself. It's about mm. the rest of the community, mm. the the the, the commons that we've got going here, the demos that that I'm worried about, not myself. Mm. And I think there's decent reasons to be worried. It's yes. not any rational fear. No. Arguably,
1: suppressive drugs. Yeah,
0: yes, you've got it right. But arguably, these people have an irrational fear of of tyrannical governments. Like they seem (laughs) to think they seem to think that we're such sheep,le that when this is all over, we'll be happy to have all these restrictions Mm. that we'll just go along with because we've just succumbed to it and we're unthinking dodos. Like, give us some credit. We're not. Scared? We're yes. not stupid. We've That's done right. a different calculation to you. Yes, it's a value systems. Our value systems are different to yours. That's right. We're not as fucking selfish. It's mm. essentially
1: what it's come down to. Yes. Well, you know, Mary Malone, her personal freedoms were taken mm-hmm. away, and right. she didn't believe it. Right. So you know, you know the story of Typhoid Mary.
0: Ah. Uh- mm-hmm. Tell the story. Yeah, go on. She
1: she was a cook, I think, in New York in the early 1900s, and there were typhoid outbreaks, and they were traced back to the kitchens where she worked. And the first time she was tested, found to be positive. To fairly sure she was tested. Anyway, they suspected she had typhoid. They told her she couldn't work as a cook anymore. Yeah, and she tried to find alternate work, but nothing paid as well. Yeah, so she changed her name and went back to cooking. And there was another outbreak in the kitchen in the household that she was working at. And the public health authorities found her, shut her down. And this happened three or four times before eventually they stuck her on an island in the middle of New York Harbor and basically locked her up and said, you are not able to cook as a job, basically gave her a pension and, and stuck her in a sanatorium. Right. Because she was a danger to society. She didn't mm. believe that she had the disease. Mm-hmm. It was impacting her livelihood. Mm. A- and so she wasn't willing to stop cooking. Right. And, and I see these people as very much the same.
0: Just a few other things I see in the comments on Facebook and stuff uh, from these people as well is I
1: think that
0: the pro us, are so certain in our convictions that we're unwilling to th- explore. Hmm. The other side.
3: Hmm. Not
0: personally, I'm happy to explore the other options. Yes. Um, happy to explore the other arguments. Yes. Just make a good one. And they also they also <laughs> say that that governments that these governments actually enjoy imposing these restrictions. They seem to think mm. that 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 Dan Andrews and Anastasia Palache actually enjoy imposing these conditions and.
1: It's all part of the great reset.
0: I would say for any leader of any stripe, Liberal or Labor, I don't see them as genuinely enjoying the power of locking down and creating restrictions. I think they, to me, I get the sense that they're genuinely uncomfortable about it. They've got friends and family. They're subject to the same rules. They happen to wear friggin' masks. Exactly. And be as observant as everybody else Mm. and they want to have functions in their home with more than Mm. three people. And I just think it's a cynical, ugly view of the world that you think people are so nasty that they want to impose these just out of power. Mm. I think you've got it wrong.
2: While I was um, studying at uni, I went to meet my mum for lunch Mm. and who should walk in but the deputy premier
3: mm-hmm.
2: sat behind us and our uh, mum got a bit starstruck. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so she started trying to take a picture of him and she wasn't really good with the phone. So anyway, I was embarrassed, so I was like, I'm going back to uni. <laughs> right. And anyway, she, she wrote, and her handwriting is terrible, sorry to say, mum, but it is. Mm. She wrote down on a napkin, great work such-and-such a thing and then, like, tried to slip him the note. And he said – he got the note and read it and then he said, oh, Jill, because she put a name on it, do you want to have a photo or something? Uh, Like, yeah, it was, like, really great with her. Anyway, I happened to meet him Mm. next week and I said, oh, my mum's that fangirl. He had put that crappy napkin with the little note on on his mantelpiece. There you go. Because he was, like, so fearful because – Often people try to take his photo to put on Twitter, right. like yep. "this prick out to lunch while you know yep. New South Welshman trying to get across the border," or yep. like, yeah. Yep. So, just goes to show, like he so irregularly gets the compliment. Yeah. that that was that made such a difference to his day. Yeah, yeah. So they're people. Yep. They aren't enjoying it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So
0: yes, Dean. You know these people are drawn to power, but I think. I think the power of locking people down isn't the power that they're that they're drawn to. I think the power of meeting powerful people of of whatever agenda they have of religion or in terms of conservative governments, you know getting rid of tax and and regulation and being pro-business or whatever they want to do i mean
1: or, I, or for all of them making contacts that are going to serve them in later life mm. So,
0: you know, involuntary house arrest of the healthy innocent is acceptable. You know, involuntary house arrest. It it all comes down to this question of balance. It's individual freedom versus the community deciding collectively to that they that they're going to restrict individual freedom for a reason, which is essentially to protect our commons. So, our public spaces our institutions is part of our commons and and the, those in favor of the restrictions are saying these are valuable institutions that we don't want trashed and we don't want these restrictions but we're willing to put up with them for a time for yeah. a purpose yeah. so where is you know it's it it comes down to that balance so, you know, I see people just talking about absolutes of freedom and not recognising that our freedoms have been curtailed and restricted all the time now, and, and we we adjust those all the time. I mean, you can't drive a car at 100 k in a suburban street. Mm. We've said no.
3: Mm.
0: In fact, or you need joined. a licence and yeah. it's got to be 60. Now, yeah. we know that if we set on the highways – the highway from here to Sydney, you've got to travel at 40k the whole way. We know that we would save lives by doing that. But we also, on balance, go, you know what, for the benefit of the community, it's important that people get around in quicker time. We're prepared to accept a few deaths in order, and we'll let people travel at 100k for most of the way and, where necessary, drop the speed limit. Like, we do weigh up these things all the time, Mm. and this is part of that weighing up
2: that's right um, if you stow your tray table and yeah. put your window shade up and yep. put your seat belt on yep. i don't know mm. i don't know that we have the data that's mm. going to say oh because you put your window shade up you lived mm. whereas the other people died like we don't know but mm. we still trap you in an aluminium tube mm-hmm. and you give us your freedoms and in mm. return you get to travel yep. at 900 kilometers an hour yep
0: we provide some perfect models. yep so let me see here just the other thing is for the people who do protest the vaccines and the sort of mandatory nature of it. I just would really like to know did they line up and get yeah you know, because they object to things being in their body? Did they object when their daughter's got a rubella, you know injection? Mm. did they did they object when they got their antibiotics? Have they been the type of people who have been, reading the label on everything that a doctor gave him, and actually refused stuff in the past, or is it just on this occasion? And if it's only many- on this occasion, on, a, on an item that has been distributed worldwide, and in fact, we've got one of the greatest databases available on this thing, you've chosen this one. Don't you think if that's the case, to doubt this particular one, it's because you've You've drunk something too late.
1: It's it's <laughs> no, it's a misunderstanding of science. Mm. It's the we need to have it out there for ten years before we can trust it. Mm. But did they apply but,
0: that to everything else that's been injected
1: to them in the last in their lifetime? I, I I'm mm. guessing that they didn't even think about it. Mm. Because they, they may well have been new formulations of old mm. Yeah. You know, just because we've always had a measles jab mm. we didn't know when we had the MMR Yeah, it was a different formulation. But we know that the vast majority of side effects of a vaccine appear Mm. within the first couple of months. Mm. And that the number of doses that we've given has meant that very, very rare effects that we normally pick up five or six years later, just because it's so we've given so many injections that we've seen the rare side effects. Yeah. Mm. Such as the blood clots
0: so and you know we're aware that there is a very small chance of these blood clots but we've done a calculation and gone you know what i think it's worth doing
1: yeah and in fact us waiting six months has made the difference because mm. the rest of the world had the blood clots discovered the hard way mm. we got to learn that this was a risk we got to monitor mm. patients and we now have the treatments Yep.
3: yeah
2: the other cool thing is it's been well taken up. Like mm. even Mark McGowan who's been, you know, criticised for his overreach on 90%. Mm. He wants people, ninety, he wants his community 90% vaccinated before he opens the border mm. and he's had 85% first shot. Right. In Western Australia. Right. He's got mm. 85% of people have had their first. Like mm. that's all, Like that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yep. So here's a typical article from the anti-vax point of view. And this is from Lionel Shriver, writing in The Spectator. So I've previously quoted Lionel Shriver, who was very good on cultural appropriation. So mm-hmm. she was the one who was arguing against Matt Abdel Magid, Maggid, whatever her name was, I can't remember exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one who was saying that... You know, if you're a novelist, a writer of fiction, you can't write stories about an ethnic group if you're not part of the ethnic group or even, you know, life experiences that you haven't experienced yourself. So, you know, and I agree 100% with Lionel Shriver that the whole purpose of writing fiction is to be able to transport yourself into somebody else's shoes (laughs) and write about someone else's experience. And that's a good thing, (laughs) that we should be trying to do that. So, and I thought she was great on that. So, So she says here... This is a typical sort of article or or the argument. So, by spearheading the vaccine drives, governments have attached themselves to a product. They're implicitly in league with the pharmaceutical industry, not by means of a conspiracy, but because of perceived common interest. Successful vaccine, successful government. All good so far. Nothing wrong with that, Lionel. Like, if you've got a good product that the community needs, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Mainstream media and swaths of the medical establishment have also attached themselves to the product. All these parties are in cahoots to maintain a Manichaean social partition. And Manichian is to follow the philosophy of Manichaeism, which is an old religion that breaks everything down into good or evil. It means duality. So if your thinking is Manichaean, you are thinking, you always see things in black and white. So she says... All these parties, mainly medical establishment, government, mainstream media, see things in black and white and want to maintain a black and white social partition. You must be all in or you're against. Any appreciation for the risks or limits of vaccines casts you as a dreaded anti-vaxxer. So any feel for nuance makes you stupid. Any short of fanatical devotion to the perfect benevolence of vaccines makes you crazy. So look, that's just an exaggerating story straw man of the position like i don't think people are crazy i just think they've got a different value system which Mm. i think they're just way too selfish and pro-individualist and Mm. don't recognize the real damage that can be done to our community Mm. and don't give a shit about it so i don't see them as necessarily crazy so going on with her article yet the product is a bit of a disappointment she's talking about vaccines it reduces death and hospitalisation but can't stop COVID from spreading. The virus continues merrily to sweep through heavily vaccinated populations. So, you know, it's not a disappointment. It's actually... I'm not
1: disappointed yeah. in the vaccine.
2: I don't no. expect a 100% um,
0: perfect miracle.
2: Oh, my gosh. Like
1: I, I, I think the answer is it's it's a step but it's mm. not enough on its own. Yes. And the problem is... It, Politicians have been waiving it as some miracle cure that everything will go back to normal as soon as we get to mm. X percent vaccinated, whereas realistically, this is not going to go away. This is not going to ever get, or, sorry, it will eventually, but it's not going to be very quick. Mm, we're yep. not going to get back to normal anytime soon.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, are they saying it? They're really saying, well, we're going to reduce a lot of these restrictions we've got, but- we all know we're heading for a hit at some point. It's yes. going to come through the community yes. and knock off a bunch of us and That's hopefully right. but, the system copes.
1: But but, but it has been said, mm. oh, we'll go back to normal. And the politicians have said that. Mm. Now, the scary thing is what Jill was saying about kids and vaccination. Your local epidemiologist, who is a, a blogger in the States, and she was saying that COVID last year – was the eighth leading cause of death in young children. Right. Higher even than school shootings. It is the leading preventable cause of death.
0: Right. There we go. Mm.
1: And that's in the population that isn't affected.
0: I'll keep going just with this article. So, you know, the products are a disappointment and the virus continues to sweep merrily through the vaccinated populations. It's Just giving no credit to the benefits from this vaccine. What we have here then is an advertising problem. The purveyors of products are inclined to overpromise. Adverts for hair loss treatment tend to boast, not stimulate some minor follicle growth, but rather cures balding. Having oversold their adopted elixir, governments won't retreat from the cure's balding pitch. Won't keep you from getting sick or even from making other people sick, but prevents dying a lot of the time. And she calls that a lukewarm slogan. (laughs) A product that prevents dying a lot of the time. I'm sorry, Lionel Shriver, it's not a lukewarm slogan. She says, I'm doubly vaccinated, gladly so unbalanced, but I've no fear of vaccine virgins. As the medical case for shunning the unvaccinated is unconvincing, vax passports and employment mandates function purely as blackmail. As a judge decreed when staying Biden's edict, the mandate's true purpose is not to enhance workplace safety, but instead to ramp up vaccine uptake by any means necessary. So I think it's both. When they mandate vaccines in the workplace, it's for safety of workers Mm -hmm. and it's to encourage people to get the bloody vaccine it's it's both she finishes off much western public health policy is now irrational governments need to detach from the product instead they've detached from the facts and like that's the typical sort of stuff I see when it comes Mm. to this argument, vague statements that sort of say the vaccine doesn't work, you're all scared, you're all sheeple, governments are overreaching, and this is just crazy nonsense that you've all fallen for. Yeah. There we go.
2: You know, I kind of did get the vaccine because I'm a bit Mm. selfish.
0: Right. Because
2: I am like at least 10 kilos overweight, spent the first 10, 10 years of my adolescence from about 15 to 25 smoking cigarettes. Yep. So I'm not in great shape. It could kill me, yep. even though I'm young. Yeah. So by being vaccinated, I'm actually making a choice where
0: mm. it
2: could make me sick, but it won't, won't necessarily kill me.
0: Mm. Yep. And,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. So from Crikey,
2: oh, actually, the
1: other
0: thing is a lot of the people who complain about these laws are great defenders of Western liberal democracy. But democracy, like it's a democratic thing. For duly elected officials mm-hmm. to impose restrictions on people, mm-hmm. and
2: they oh, just haven't been paying attention who they've been voting for until now. It's
0: just—it's like these people are in favour of democracy until the democracy decides to restrict their individual freedom. <laughs> yeah. What they really want is freedom is more important than the democracy, mm. and that is a Milton Friedman sort of. Philosophy. So Milton Friedman was this part of the Mount Peleron Society, basically the guy who invented neoliberalism, converted Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan into neoliberalism. And in his writings, you know, personal individual freedom was the highest of priorities. Mm. And democracy was something to be wary of because a democracy might actually decide to reduce those freedoms. So he saw General Pinochet in Chile as a necessary sort of interim measure because while he wasn't a democracy, in any sense was Pinochet a democracy, he was supposedly instituting personal freedoms of a laissez-faire economy and that was preferable. You know, a dictator general like Pinochet Mm. enabling personal freedom was better in Freedman's eyes than a democracy that might actually restrict freedom. You know, the whole democracy issue is part of all this as well. Do I want to say what Crikey said? What did Crikey say? There's four options a government can do. Do nothing other than providing free vaccinations and educating people. So that's option one. It could impose soft restrictions such as travel on the unvaccinated. It could impose financial penalties on the unvaccinated which is an approach in Singapore. Singapore has said, you're unvaccinated and you get sick and you come into hospital, you're going to pay for it yourself. And the fourth would be fully mandate vaccines like Austria. Austria is really moving to some quite strong laws in terms of vaccinations. I haven't kept up with the latest in Mm. Austria, but they're moving because they've got one of the lowest take-up rates in Europe. So they're introducing... Are
2: they the ones about to go back into lockdown? Or mm-hmm. the a whole
0: bunch of them over there because they're coming yeah. into winter yes. as well as yeah. a problem. So, yeah. yeah. Now, let me just see. I might just skip a little bit to one thing I had. Let me just see where this is. I'll put in the show notes, dear listener, if you're a – actually, I'll put links in the normal show notes and the full thing in the – the patrons get the full show notes these days. You're not a patron, you just get a little short list of topics, but I'll actually put this in the show notes. And essentially I found two articles about the differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated people in how much they contract the disease and how much they pass on the disease. So so one is from The Conversation, which talks about that topic, and another is from the UK which was from the BBC, which painted quite a different picture. And then there was an article from this place called Actuarial Eye, which is this guy who's an actuarian who is trying to look at these different things and trying to work out the differences. So there's a great disparity between, you could argue for quite a while as to, you know, you've got a group of 100 people and you some are vaccinated, some are not, how quickly viruses transfer in amongst them. I won't go into the weeds on it. I'll just I'll just put the links and you can go and look at them. But these are the sorts of things that that I think the anti-vaxxers should possibly talk about more because there are, there is something in there about it's it's not exactly clear how effective the vaccines are in the sense of transmission. It's certainly very clear in terms of keeping people out of hospital, but in terms of the transmission rates it's not so clear. Anyway, I'll put those in the show notes rather than going through the whole thing.
2: But you couldn't show that to an anti-vaxxer and and have right. them believe you. you yeah. Wouldn't see that as a credible piece of information. That's a trouble.
0: Probably not. Well, mm. and some of it is kind of in their favour though. So, like, I think the BBC article was much more in their corner than the than mm. the article from the Conversation. So, the, the, you know, that the data on that is not very clear at all. Okay, what have we got? You had
2: a request to discuss oh. Paul Keating,
3: which I yes. know you were. Yes, I've got to
0: put that on. He's coming up soon. Just before I do, Morrison's sort of aiming for a – let me just get this. Now I've lost that. Morrison's clearly testing slogans and things mm. for an election. One of them was can-do capitalism. <laughs> such How'd a, you feel about that?
2: You know, it's clever from the perspective of – He does understand and shifts with public sentiment like that. It's something I wish Mm. the Labor Party would adopt a little more of.
0: Being a bit more shifty.
2: A little bit more agile, let's say. You know, whereas Bill Shorten brought his big agenda Mm. and there was no appetite for it. Right, There would be an appetite for the kinds of policies they had the last time. Right. But we're not going to shift. We're going to stick to this small tactic, small Small thing and possibly Mm. lose. Mm. But we're just going to hang on to it. Scott Morrison, nah. It's what wins elections. Mm. If it's the can-do capitalism, if it's bullshitting, if it's this, if it's that, but whatever he needs, t- to whatever get power. it is. whatever's happening on Trans- Twitter, he will respond. Principles
0: will be
3: discarded exactly. and adopted exactly.
0: in an instant, depending on his own personal. That's right. Requirements for that particular five minutes.
2: Yes, because yep. you don't get the private plane unless you're the big dog. Mm.
1: Well, I, I I think he doesn't believe that he's ever lied.
0: Mm.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. You no. don't think he does know he's lied? Yep. Surely, Joe, no, you don't really think oh. he actually believes his own bullshit?
0: People convince I don't themselves. Know. People <laughs> convince themselves. So it wouldn't surprise me if he, yeah, he it, it could be convincing himself. So what did he say? He said, "Can do capitalism, not don't do governments." I think that's a good motto for us to follow, not just in this area but right across the spectrum of economic policy in this country. This is Morrison. We've got a bit used to governments telling us what to do over the last couple of years. I think we have to break that habit. It's had its place, sure. But he's talking about government as if he's, he's not, not the in- go- <laughs> he's
3: not.
2: <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. It's a matter for the states. You've got to appreciate the brilliance.
0: The same with Barnaby Joyce. <laughs> I played that clip once before about Barnaby Joyce when he's in the farm paddock going, I'm sick of governments telling me what to do. I'm sick of it. <laughs> we got to remember there's the big fellow in the sky. But he was
2: like... <laughs> I know, the sky, Daddy. <laughs>
0: but, but he was like, I'm sick of governments telling me what to do. And, mate, you are the Deputy Premier.
2: That's... it. I the know. The de- Deputy
0: Prime Minister.
2: The powerlessness.
0: Yep. So, um... Anyway, that's uh, can-do capitalism was run up the flagpole to see how it flew, and
2: the fellow who yeah. won the seat back from Maxime McHugh, the tennis player, who yeah, was John Alexander, ben, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah,
2: is resigning. Yes, and it's rumoured that he's resigning because he was trying to get some good transport policy up and couldn't. He yes. can't get the attention of the government because all the government wants to do is win elections. He wants
0: a very fast train. <laughs> they love their very fast
2: trains. You haven't seen uh, Utopia, obviously. No.
0: Oh, yeah, I've seen oh, Utopia. Yeah. <laughs> but John Alexander wants fast trains.
2: Well, it's something. That's what he wants. But imagine, like, you have this safe liberal seat, you are supposed to be forming policy, and your best option is to resign.
3: Yeah.
2: What's the point? What is the point of the pursuit of politics? If you get to the top and this is it.
0: He's supposedly very disenchanted with... Uh, how politics works, he sees them as being right. You know, just doing things for power. seeing
2: as than- he's there, he may as well make a difference while yeah. he's there. Yeah. Could he not just persuade somebody to build a very fast train?
0: And he voted all the way. Well, well he's trying to, and Morrison, pl- Morrison's not interested. <laughs> so he's why, submitted why does stuff. It change.
1: And Morrison's change not Change politics. Yeah. lock well, the door and set fire to the building.
3: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't know. You know, he's complaining now. I mean, he's nearly 70. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: time to move on when you're 70. Yeah. But then it's the
2: same with old mate in the Labour Party as well, Mm -hmm. who loves coal and he's resigning as well. Craig Fitzgibbon. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's he's obviously no skills of persuasion. Mm. You know, like I'm fine with him leaving, but it's just like, why bother? Why become an MP just so you can throw all your toys out of the pram and leave? It's like, prob- is that really serving your electorate?
0: It's probably a miserable existence as a backbench mm. MP.
1: Mm. I mean. Yeah, but if you stick out your 10 years, you get your pension. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's it's probably only attractive to people who can't do anything else to be a backbencher oh, MP. right. Like, I mean, it's long hours away yes. from your family. You've got to really love school fates and PNC <laughs> <Yes>. meetings. <laughs> And you are essentially powerless in that everything's decided in Cabinet and, you know, backbenchers are just told this is voting. And, wow. you know, depending on your character and whatever, you, you know, you you could have many, many, many years of essentially not getting anything done. Yeah, and, but 10, and 10 having, years and
1: you gravy train for life. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it, it wouldn't be attractive if you were told... Everybody enters parliament thinking they'll one day be prime minister. Like they all right. do. Right. Oh. Okay. But if you told Enough, people. But even. Yeah. If, you told, if you told me, Trevor, you can go in, and you, but you'll be a lowly backbencher and you'll never arise <laughs> to being a cabinet minister, you, just you wouldn't, wouldn't want do to it. do it. Yeah. Would you? No. Yeah. So. But um, then
2: even the prime minister is saying, it's a matter for the states. I've got no power. Yeah. What do you want me to do?
1: Yeah. But it suits him. And and he doesn't hold the hose. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Paul Keating, National Press Club. Laura Tingle was sort of interviewing him but basically asked questions and he would head off on a spiel for a good 10 minutes about China and God, it was good.
3: Mm.
0: You know, on two levels. One is I happen to agree with every single thing he said (laughs) in terms of policy and the ideas. Mm. But the delivery and the intelligence Mm. that was behind it, just plucking references to history and to people that he knew and understood, it was impossible to imagine this current bumbling fool, Scott Morrison, ever being able to talk so competently and so well about any topic.
2: That's right. Other than
0: a Malaysian curry perhaps. Like it really was... It was a moment where you went, oh, my God, how far we've fallen. Mm. Like, love him or hate him, you had to admit he was a smart guy.
2: That's right.
0: And could tell a story and sell an idea and with a level of, Ambition and drive and take no prisoners and the mm. colourful turn of phrase. Yes. The UK is an amusement park sliding into the Atlantic. <laughs> yes. or just stuff like that, really, really good stuff mm. and and quite depressing to think. But we've said it before, like when you looked at, you know, the Hawk cabinet, and you know, just the brilliant men who were in that at the time mm. and that's the calibre that we used to have. Yes. And now we've got these... On the Liberal side, evangelical nutbags. Yes. And on the Labor side, just uh, union hacks who've done nothing. You know, it's just, it just shows how far we've fallen. Yeah. And what do you do? I don't know. <laughs> but it was a good moment. It was good to watch. I mean, the whole idea he was saying about China was, what are we doing involving the UK and America in something that's Asian, like you've got to look mm. at geography and region and deal with the people in the region. Yes. And he just sort of made the point that we've got the Indonesian archipelago above us, that's our natural defence. We should be spending time with the Indonesians like there's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We should have their military all doing their training in our military colleges Yes, and we should be in theirs and doing all sorts of cross-training where we – know and understand each other. So mm. if anything does happen, it comes through Indonesia I, I and we work together. we'd
1: already done that. Uh, we trained mm. them how to invade East Timor, didn't we?
0: Yes. So, which, you know what, was one of the reasons why we were able to kind of get them out of East Timor was because mm. we had trained them. So we did right. have relationships with them. And so the US, when we asked them for help with East Timor, said, no, you guys should actually do this on your own because we'll probably muck it. Well, not in so many words, but we'll probably... You are the guys to do this because you're on yes. the ground and you know them. And, yes. and in fact, America's staying out of it and just letting us do it. And we had personal relationships mm. with our military and their military where we could... That was one of the reasons they did actually leave in mm. the end. So, I mean, this is what america did with indonesia when i did that whole book review about the jakarta method and in order to overthrow the government they essentially took a long-term strategy of inviting the military in indonesia to america and they essentially the entire after 20 years the entire indonesian military had been trained in america so they were totally on board Mm. with america when they then wanted to overthrow the government so it just makes sense with these countries that you, for us in Indonesia, that we should just have a really close relationship. So Keating is saying, uh, UK in Southeast Asia, come on, mm-hmm. India, long history, India in Southeast Asia. We're we going to rely on India as part of the Quad to come across. Mm. Come on, it's, it's just common sense. Yes, and. That we should be talking and negotiating and being part of the community rather than bringing in outsiders to protect us from Asia. Mm. We've got to find our protection within Asia. That's mm. oh, what he was saying. It was all good stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Mm. So if you haven't listened to that, dear listener, ABC, IView, or something, or somewhere we'll have it. It was good, mm. I thought. Oh, how are we going for time? 9 2 gee, we haven't got too much, have we? I, sorry, in the chat room, have not been able to go through much there. What are people saying? Whatley's left us. Mm. Tom's the warehouse guy. Love Milton Friedman. His video on the pencil is amazing. Tom, what are you talking about? What is that about? Like You know, actually, if we want to talk about Milton Friedman and neoliberalism, Joe, if you've got those photos on inequality or the images... So dear listener, I came across a website which was the World Inequality Report and essentially had some really interesting graphs that maybe the other one, Joe, with you're on the, the bubble, but this is the, yeah, that's the one. So dear listener, if you're looking at the screen, you see a red line going upwards from left to right and a blue line going downwards <laughs> from left to right. So starts from 1980, goes to 2016 or so. So the blue line is the share of national income for the bottom 50% in the US. And the red line is the share of national income for the top 1% in the US. So that just shows you that the 1% used to get about – 11%, 11% and they're now up to 20 and the bottom 50% used to get about 20 and they're now down to 13. So and that all happened as a result of the sort of neo-liberal policies that America adopted under Reagan as they took effect yeah. over the years following Reagan. So
1: the, the trickle the trickle up economy, is it? Indeed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's the US <laughs> The next chart shows same time period, same statistics, Western Europe. So you can see that pretty much a slight decrease for the bottom 50%, but not much, and a slight increase for the top 1%, but not much. Essentially, there's been nowhere near the changeover in income between the two I'm groups. guessing
1: that excludes the UK.
0: So... I don't know, Joe. I Links will be in the show notes and people can – it says Western Europe actually. So that would – well, does that exclude the UK? I don't know. Not sure, Joe. And then the third one shows Australia. I had to hunt this one down and make it up myself. Mm-hmm. So – we are somewhere in between the US and the, UK and the and the Western Europe, you know. We haven't crossed over like the US, but the direction we're heading is worse than Europe. This is sort of one of the things I've been saying in this podcast for the last six years is, in a lot of things, we've got a choice. Are we going to follow the Americans economically, mm. socially, militarily, or are we going to follow more of a Scandinavian European model? What are we going to do? Are we going to be the pro-individual libertarian Americans or are we going to be more of socialist, democratic Scandinavians? Milton. And, yeah, I'd like that, but we hedging our bets. It's I, I fear we are adopting the American way more and more, and I wish mm. we wouldn't. And that, so that graph on inequality just shows that... The it hasn't crossed over, but it's, it's heading in that direction, Australia, somewhere between the European and the American experience. And there's another graph here that sort of shows, yep, Joe's got the same one up. This is for a longer time period. So this one goes back from 1912 to 2021. And, you know, the big change happens in 19, in the 1980s, essentially. Things were going great for equality until then. Mm. and then things changed. And it was all to do with Thatcher, Reagan, neoliberal policies that came about during that time period and haven't really been reversed in any sense. Mm. And, and what's the policies that happened at that time are meaning that the top 1% are getting more of income and the bottom 50% are getting less, and that's how it's working out. So that was interesting on inequality graphs. And was there anything else I wanted to quickly – oh, let's go back to the bubble bursting, Joe. Just, dear listener, do not take financial advice from a podcast or this (laughs) podcast in particular. So don't take what I'm about to say as advice that you should sell all your stocks and whatever and convert (laughs) them to cash or do anything. I'm not saying that. But just I'm saying read, get professional advice, look around – and consider what sort of financial bubble we're currently in at the moment. So there's an article from Crikey saying that basically everything, every sector is in a bubble at the moment. And according to Crikey, author, is going to burst and it's going to get messy. So everyone in going, the last bursting of a bubble was back in 2000. So in 1999, almost everyone knew that the bubble would burst at some point. But as the Citibank CEO said, as long as the music is playing, you've got to get up and dance. And what that means is, well, if you've got a bit of money, dear listener, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to put it in shares? Are they overvalued? Are you going to put it in property? Is that overvalued? You know, where are you going to put it? So back then, turn of the century, the March two thousand, you remember the Nasdaq, which was the tech stocks, dropped seventy seven percent. The Dow Jones dropped. 20%. Back in those days, interest rates were about 8%. Mm. So, our problem now is that interest rates are so low that everything is in a bubble mm. and almost every asset class, from stocks to property to fine art. And according to this article, I'm not saying it's the case, it's just according to this article, don't take advice from me, don't sue me for this. <laughs> If you're purchasing almost any asset now, you're essentially betting that central banks are able to influence interest rates in the medium term, which is highly debatable, and can maintain record low interest rates despite fears of inflation. So everything's expensive now because interest rates are so cheap. In the past... Um, Sorry,
1: Joe, I was going to say, Robert Reich regularly talks about this. There's a couple of documentaries he's done, and his argument is these... Spikes in the markets happen when the rich have a lot of capital to invest, and it eventually leads to a crash, which has a negative impact. Mm-hmm. And his argument is basically top rate of tax has an effect on this. So top rate of tax being high leads to inflation.
0: So having high top rates of tax leads to inflation.
1: Sorry, other way around. Oh. Having low top rates of tax leads uh-huh. to
0: inflation. Okay, yep, because they've got money swimming around and that just gets yes. speculatively invested, creating inflation. That would make sense. So mm-hmm. in the past year, the NASDAQ is up 34%. The S&P up 34%. Crude oil is up 109%. Coal's up 117 Bitcoin up 300%. Australia's share market, a relative laggard, up only 21%. So there's a chart which Joe's got there, which is the US market in relative terms. Which So this first chart looks at the 10-year average price earnings multiples. And it's only hit 40 previously, and it's just hit 40 again. So if you look at a chart like that, you'd think, hmm. And there's another one, Warren Buffett's GDP to market capitalization index, which is another chart. And again, you look at it and you go, hmm. So,
2: and then what else do you do? Do you what, also lock down your interest rate? I'm not saying <laughs> what you do, <laughs> but so, hypothetically, I, would you extrapolate I, from I, I don't that, know that what there might do. be some actions to take, like
1: I start saving your pennies
2: for interest rate I rises? Don't know
0: what
1: to 2000 do. was the dot com bubble, wasn't
0: yeah. it? Yeah, it's it, yeah, so I mean, it could be, could go as another three years, who knows? It who knows? It's just interesting times ahead. I reckon probably as soon as the Labor government gets in, that's usually when a disaster strikes. So <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: that could be it. So, um, Although
1: that's good timing because mm. they actually bail us out. And
0: finally, just on the, the can-do capitalism with what we mentioned before with Scott Morrison, part of the essential poll today, the question was – Which of the following options is closest to your views on how an Australian government should get involved in the management of the economy? And the first one was, I want government to have a more active role in managing the economy. And 62% of people agreed. Mm. I think the way the government manages the economy currently is about right, was 22%. And I want the government to have less active role in managing the economy is 16%. So that would indicate that they can do capitalism let's get out of here and leave it up to the market is not what people are wanting, according Mm.
1: to this essential poll. I thought that was interesting.
2: Mm. It is interesting.
1: It's interesting because the whole get uh, the government out of the market is a furphy. Yes. Because the market works on regulation, works on laws, works on, and and what they don't want is free reign because Mm -hmm. then the poor people will say, fuck you, I'm not doing what you want, Mr. Bank, Mm. and they'll default on their loans. Mm. So they want the full power of the government when it suits them. Mm. They just don't want the full power of the government breathing down their necks. Mm. But
0: even Adam Smith recognised the danger of unregulated capitalism and the ability of large players with market monopolies to distort the system. So the whole invisible hand idea of, of Adam Smith was was relying on an acknowledgement that when businesses got too big, they could distort a market, and that mm-hmm. wasn't capitalism and the free market in his eyes. All right, just briefly, Mel says, the Australian graph showed there was less inequality under Whitlam, Hawke Keating through the 70s and 90s with a blip for Fraser, doesn't it? So let me just go back to that and before we finish. Inequality... And the Australian one. What year was?
2: Look, 1980
0: to... Yeah. What year was? 1974, was it? Yeah, seventy four. Oops, I moved away I from my friend, sorry. Yeah, I don't know, uh, Mel. I think the graph is a fairly... Okay, there's little blips and things there, but I don't know about that. Anyway, have a look at it in your leisure. All right, dear listener. Well, thanks in the chat room. You guys have been going off in there, which is good. Sorry I couldn't follow you all the way. Good to see old folk like Dean Stretton getting involved. I haven't heard from Dean for ages, so nice to see people like that coming back. Tom, the warehouse guy, I'm gonna to have to talk to you about Milton Friedman. I'm a little bit worried <laughs> about your thoughts there. And look, the panel will be back in two weeks. I keep promising to do something. I don't know if I will or not. I don't know.
3: Yeah.
0: Just be a surprise if it does. Not sure what I'm gonna do. Anyway, we'll be back in at least in two weeks. Maybe in a week. Yeah. I'll be back.
3: Not sure, but we'll talk to you then. Bye for now. Good night.
1: Well, that's a good note from him.